Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Dr. Jenny Witcher. Hello. Hi, how are and you? I, I meant to ask, did I, is that Witcher? Did I say that right? You did, like Good. Halloween Witch. Good. Yeah. I always <laughs> worry about getting people's names right. So um, Jenny is the Minister of Prophetic Formation at 6th Avenue United Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado, and the founder of Juniper Formation, an entrepreneurial an ecumenical ministry with a mission of prophetically reimagining the church. She is an entrepreneurial, and I can't say that, entrepreneurial minister, community organizer, and theologian committed to social justice. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff there <laughs> for the sake of my reading skills. I'll leave it at that. Um, but welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Very good to be here. Awesome. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, beyond that, what I read, if you mind. Sure. Um, I grew up in the UCC, United Church of Christ, uh, congregational tradition in Massachusetts. I'm a PK, a pastor's kid. My mom was a lay minister as well and also worked in corporate America in Boston. And I grew up in the church and then um, went to school at NYU and 9-11 happened in New York City when I was living there. And that uh, was a traumatic event for everybody. Yeah there. Um, and that was building on top of a couple of other traumatic experiences with the church, a break for me in terms of disassociating with the institutional church, mm. not my faith, but just leaving the church saying I'm done. Yeah. A large part of that was how the Christian culture of the country went after the Muslim community after yeah. 9-11 and yeah. with such vengeance uh, and betrayal. And I just couldn't you know, there's times where there's a break where your identity and community don't um, come together. Mm -hmm. And that was a break for me. So I spent a lot of time away from the church. Um, in retrospect, running away from call as well. <laughs> no one's uh, ever done that. <laughs> yep. And wound up working in nonprofit and then higher education um, and wound up being invited by the Dean at ILA to consider a position there and really wrestled with it um, and finally took that position. And it was working at a theology school that really connected me back to the church um, mm -hmm. through the formation of those preparing for ministry. And so over time, I grew to understand that work as my call and started the ordination process. Uh, and then that job ended, ended abruptly and went into a deep discernment period of, well, what's next? And mm -hmm. out of that, the depths of that space yeah. became the Juniper Formation as a new ministry. Well, I'm going to ask, uh, tell me about the name Juniper. Well, actually, no, let's save that. Let's save that. I'm sure. jumping ahead. Um, what has it meant if, if anything's changed? What has it meant for you to be a Christian in the past? And if anything's changed, what does that look like now? Sure. I think I've had about three phases, roughly, off the top mm. of my head. Um, Early childhood formation, being a Christian, was much easier. Yeah, <laughs> it seemed it seemed so much more easier to be idealistic and follow the yeah. gospel. Yeah, um, entering probably young adulthood, that's when I started 
taking on more leadership roles within the church, trying to get my church to become open and affirming. Uh, this is in the late nineties mm-hmm. of uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals and families. And they were not prepared for that. Although, you know, when you're young, you don't always see the nuances of theology. And I assume yeah. because I learned my theology from my family and my dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. I assumed the rest of the church agreed. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wasn't the case. Yep. Um, so I faced a lot of resistance there, which was heartbreaking um, to see the church not live out its faith. And, you know, did some other work at the national level um, and stood up there for some racial justice issues and was um, kicked off of a national council I was on for that. And because people thought I was doing other things and didn't see what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a couple of those experiences of disillusionment with what I, as a more of an adult now, yeah. would say is true of all institutions. Yeah. Right. We aspire to these values and these missions. And a lot of us join institutional life and communal life for those purposes. And when we see that not happening in very violent and difficult ways, there's a dissonance. So that was that dissonance and rift that grew in tension. Um, and later on, you know, I think having more experiences in different institutions and realizing it's not just the church that screwed up, if you will, <laughs> right. That we're all human yeah. and trying to figure this out together. And yeah. we're, we're all living out our unprocessed trauma. We're all living out of different pains and joys, depending on the day or the season of life. And that can get really messy. Mm-hmm. And so coming into ministry now, I have much more of an appreciation for understanding and living into that tension between yeah. my love of the church and my deep frustration at times with the church. So, and the church is not being Christian in and of itself, but it is the community which we practice um, and learn and grow and form. Um, so yeah, being Christian now, I think is much more challenging as an adult mm-hmm. um, because you're so formed by the wider society Yeah. in terms. And right now we've got some really poor value systems um, that we've all been living through and we're trying to unveil and reconcile and heal and reconcile for the first time. I'm curious if, if I can ask, um, mm-hmm. I recently came across this term from an evangelical author named Mark Demaz. And he, he talked about the term being a disruptor. And I'm kind of hearing mm-hmm. that a lot in your yeah. past history. I'm curious, like, does that term resonate at all with you? Yes. <laughs> and I have probably many supervisors and others who would call me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but part of that for me is tied back to the imagination piece mm. of when you can imagine something different, something more healing and whole and Christ-centered, why wouldn't you interrupt a system that's oppressive and violent to try and see if you can attempt to practice, to experiment, to figure out how to get towards this other way of being together. I love it. And That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let's talk about your work now here in Juniper Formation. And mm-hmm. I want to ask uh, first, just about the name, kind of how, how did it, Juniper Formation, how did you get inspired to, to name it that for instance? Yeah. That name came from a dear friend and colleague, Jason Whitehead, um, who, so during this uh, period after leaving theological education professionally and being like a couple of months away from ordination, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden being like, oh, what am I getting ordained to? Yeah. And installed yeah. to, that shifted. 
Um, I did a lot of one-to-ones and that's something that's a big part of our ministry, uh, one-to-one discernment. Mm-hmm. So one-to-one conversation with different folks. And one of those was Jason. And we were talking about the ideas behind Juniper Formation. And he brought up the story of Elijah from First Kings um, chapter 19, verses three through eight. And for those that may be less familiar, Elijah is known as a prophet in the Bible and a teacher of prophets. Mm-hmm. And he has done some very violent things at one point. <laughs> a little <and> bit. Is <laughs> just a little. So think about the biggest mistakes in your life and multiply those by about 10,000. Uh-huh. And he is running for his life. The queen is after him to kill him. And he runs out into the desert and finds a solitary juniper tree to sit under some, mm. would say, a broom tree. And he rests there and pleads with God and asks God to take his life. Mm-hmm. And he says to God, I'm no better than my ancestors. Just take my life from me. Totally giving up. You know, I think a lot of us have had those moments in ministry where we're just like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. This clearly isn't working. <laughs> only a few times. Can you times, stop calling me into Only this? a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to keep answering the call, God. Just let it go. Find somebody else. Only a few times so, this summer, Jenny. Yeah. Only a few times only, this summer. Only, yeah, in the COVID context, everyone's like, how many hands can I raise? Yeah. Um, so that's this moment that Elijah finds himself in. And uh, of course, God replies through angels saying, no, I'm not going to take mm-hmm. your life. And instead, God sends an angel repeatedly to Elijah. Um, Elijah keeps falling asleep. Uh, right, that kind of, which reminds me of those moments where whatever it is, binge watching Netflix, um, the different ways that we fall asleep, the ways that we try to just get away and numb ourselves out. Mm. Um, and I want to be clear that sleep and Netflix is okay. Yeah. Uh, but in Netflix those clear moments <laughs> when we're trying to ignore the problem. Yeah. Um, and the angel keeps coming to wake him up and provides a hot cake and water to restore him. And it's this back and forth of saying, you know, Elijah, you need to wake up. Like you need to eat and drink. You're going to need this strength for what's coming next. And so in that space of under the tree for, for us, that being a space of rejuvenation, of encouragement, of support, yes, rest, but not rest in that kind of numb way, mm-hmm. but rest in a really profound way that prepares you for something even bigger than you could imagine. Hmm. And so in the end, Elijah goes on from that and God calls him to teach the next major private uh, private <laughs> prophet and he is a teacher of prophets and that's part of our mission is how do we in this context it's so easy in the church to just keep doing what we've known mm-hmm. and replicating what does it look like to really form prophetic ministries and so that's the umbrella of the tree um, that space and those kinds of relationships that we are creating well, let me just ask you that question then. Like, what mm-hmm. does it look like to form prophetic ministries? That's a good question. In <laughs> um, one of the things, one of your questions you had there, if it's okay to tie in. Yeah, yeah. That I thought was interesting. Um, the way you framed it was talk about our process of helping churches who lack imagination. And that the lack yeah. of imagination thing hit me hard because I wanted to say they don't lack imagination. And I was like, that's not true. Like, we all get into spaces collectively and individually where we lack imagination. Mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of us right now in a COVID context feel that way. <laughs> like we couldn't imagine ourselves into something new if we tried. Yeah. And that comes with exhaustion, with being burnt out, uh, yeah. with being stuck. 
So one of the practices that is sent, that I mentioned was central to our ministry is relational discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, in Western spiritual Christian spiritual tradition, when folks talk about discernment or the spirit led decision making kind of process, we often talk more internally. So there's often the recommendation, go meditate, go pray, go be by yourself. And certainly in the Bible, there's many moments where folks went up to a mountaintop, including Jesus, to be by themselves. Yeah. And also, if we look at the gospel in the Hebrew text, relationship is actually one of the most critical points of discernment and engagement in that those contexts of being in relationship to one another. Yeah. So that's the big part of what we do is we get folks in relationship with one another. Most congregations that I've um, worked with or spoken with or individuals that are stuck in that lack of imagination space are really out of a relationship to themselves, to one another, and to God and to their community. Interesting. And so that's a big part of the work we do because that's where inspiration strikes. When you get diverse folks together, you get to know each other deeply, you share sacred space and sacred life together. That's where God is present, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm really... It sounds so simple, but it makes so much sense because I think about, um, like you think about a church that's has clearly not grown or changed with the neighborhood, like they're out of relationship with the neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. Evangelicals, you'll use a term called ministry silos, where Mm. you have, and I think we we even see this in mainline Protestant context, where like everyone has like their kingdom, where like you know. There are things like the kitchen or the food bank ministry (laughs) or whatever. And it's, again, these people are not in relationship to one another. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a beautiful image. Let me ask a counter to this. And I should have warned you, uh, half of Mm -hmm. this conversation is just me asking follow-up questions to folks' responses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm curious, as someone who's, I, I, I guess I would consider myself a student of systems theory, family systems theory. I'm curious how you as, as a leader, because um, as I understand family systems theory, that is like so often it's like the most anxious person in their room can just kind of sidetrack and mm-hmm. kind of spoil a beautiful conversation. How do you yep. as a leader uh, help facilitate that kind of group dynamic so that one anxious person or even a couple anxious people can't derail uh, that Mm -hmm. kind of relational discernment process? Sure. That's a great question and something that has always frustrated me about church life. Yeah. Um, And all institutional life, you know, the loudest squeaky wheel, whatever metaphor you want to use, gets a lot of attention and everyone gives way. And then we all wind up off mission, doing things that we don't do that don't energize us and take us out of relationship. Because yeah. we're functioning out of dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Um, and teaching was actually, I think, the place where I learned how to handle this first. Oh, um, teaching. Because in teaching, they talk about, right, if you spend all of your time in the classroom focused on the one student who's not participating or who is being disruptive or whatever it is, like everybody else is losing in that moment, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean that person isn't valid. Right. And I think sometimes in Christianity, we get stuck in that scripture about like, and the shepherd went after that one sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we get stuck in that model of like, I got to go after that one sheep. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, go after that sheep, but 
uh, also pay attention to the community, mm-hmm. right? And also like encourage allow, allow meaning permission given and support and formation and training around getting the congregation or the classroom to support one another. Oh, right. Talk more so about that. So it's a collaborative and co-creative space versus top down. Cause when it's just the minister or just the teacher that has to manage the expectations of every individual in the room, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't, you can't meet everybody's expectation every moment, but together you can create a more collaborative space where there's shared expectations. Most of the models in our Western U.S. culture mm-hmm. are about, I individually need something specific instead of developing shared expectations. And that's part of why we're stuck in out of relationship with one another. We, we That's a skill we don't often employ. Um, but so, it does, it requires pastoral care of those individuals. People act out of mm-hmm. pain. Um, that's another helpful thing to know because there's times when that one individual is derailing ministry mm-hmm. uh, or whatever your you know, setting is. I right, think right. All of us are family, that one person in the family yeah, yeah. <laughs> that derails every holiday meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, that's coming out of a place of need and pain most often. And if mm. you can find ways to address it in other contexts, one-to-one, right? Like not have to only do it in the group space. It's It has to be done in both spaces, but I think too often we get stuck at doing it only publicly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is having clear boundaries. Yeah. Um, I'm not someone, and this is something I think comes with me from my childhood in terms of you know, when I say childhood, I mean the idealistic sense of following the gospel mm-hmm. where, you know, for me, the gospel is very clear that open and affirming is who we should be as Christian mm-hmm. Christians. And if there's people against that who are threatening their pledge or participation, fine, so be it. Because yeah. this is a community yeah. of faith in Christ. And if you cannot follow, we're here if you want to learn how to follow. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, some, it's challenging for all of us. And a lot of folks and pastors, and I get that your salary is on the line. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've been in a, I mean, I've recently been in a picture there's a couple yeah. years ago where I lost my salary abruptly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not foreign to me. I don't say that without yeah. really feeling that. Um, but when we have those, that clarity about what we're doing, it helps us make decisions that are difficult. Jackson, can you go back upstairs? Can you go back upstairs? Daddy can't read that. Can you go back upstairs for a minute? Okay, can I need you to be quiet then? If you're going to be here, I need you to be quiet. We're doing so good. Let's see. Where was it? So I was going to ask you then. Like, I love... I've just really like been enraptured listening to these last five minutes or so i'm curious like what does that look like on like 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 imagine like i'm a pastor or you're facilitating conversation you got some rabble rousers like my little son here in the background (laughs) (laughs) for our listeners that's my son um imagine kind of picture for me paint me a picture if you can like if i'm in a you know if i'm in a with a church council or a leadership board or a family, what does that look like for me to um, to help folks facilitate 
supporting one another? Mm-hmm. Does that look like like establishing some like ground rules from the top? Like, what does that look like? Sure. Um, there's always the opportunity to establish shared expectations, right? Ground. I wouldn't use ground rules because it has kind of an authoritarian disciplinary sure, sure. sense to it, which most people are excited about in life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another place where there's rules, great. Yeah. Uh, but that is part of it. Part of it for me has always been modeling. And how I would share that in a story context is that most people don't go into ministry because they um, love conflict, right? Like that's not a driving <laughs> right, force. Right, right. Uh, and so then we're not prepared for conflict. And most of us want to avoid it, talk about it with someone else, but never with the person that's actually causing the conflict. And so part of it is just like potty. taking that deep breath centering yourself so you're not wrapped up in someone else's pain and trauma. You can be present with it, but you don't have to be a part of it. And just being honest with them, naming what's happening, right? And there's all kinds of tricks we've learned in psychology of how you do that. It's not accusatory, but like, I hear you saying X, I feel this. And putting it out in the open for people to respond, because oftentimes when people are acting out, they're trying to get, you know, trying to get attention. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but they need someone. Yeah. And, and if you can take a moment to ground yourself and pause and ask them what they need, mm-hmm. ask them for clarity. Other times, like sometimes we don't know what we're saying all yeah. the time. You yeah, know, got, it's true. <laughs> <we> have, <laughs> if you're tired, if you have unprocessed yep. trauma in your life, yep. like sometimes you have no idea how you're coming across. And that's important when other people share that with you in loving and kind ways. Um, but having those sacred conversations and taking the time for it, so much of us, many of us are stuck, you know, and, and I got to get to the next thing. I got to do this. I have 10 million tasks on my desk and just pausing to engage one another. Of course, there are moments where like you have to have really strong boundaries and you may need mm-hmm. to leave a situation or ask that person to leave. Like it, it doesn't always just easily work in dialogue. Um, but that's a good place to start. Let me, think, let me ask. Think, you know, yeah. I'm just curious, like what might that look like again? Yeah. Um, again, I tend to think through things through a family system lens. So, you know, <laughs> emotional cutoff is generally frowned upon, but obviously there's sometimes where you have to say like, Hey, that's enough. That's it. So again, yeah. like thinking through like a leadership team meeting, you know, board meeting, council meeting, family meeting, like what might that look like? Cause obviously you want to hearing you, you want to like uh, affirm folks say, Hey, I hear you. But also if someone just completely, their only point is just to derail and dysfunct, you know, uh, disrupt. What might that look like for you to say, Hey, I love you, but you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I think it looks like explaining to them why, something is disruptive, not not letting them interrupt to explain it away and just say, you know, we can talk about this later and I want to, let's schedule a time. But right now this is causing harm Mm. and we need to be separate from one another. We can come back together. Mm -hmm. It's not an ultimatum. It's not a threat, but in, again, biblically there's separation. There's times when Jesus Uh went away by himself, sometimes with a couple of disciples, but just went away. Um, and we need to take that seriously together 
I think the other thing that came to mind when you're talking in terms of how do you do that collaboratively, the really, I think the toughest practice is not trying to fix it all the time. Yeah. So if I'm clear with folks that are, you know, and we all together, we're clear that we want this to be a co-creative space collaborative where we're all sharing leadership. That means that I have to pause and create space for people who are used to top-down models who will not jump in right away. And I have to be really comfortable with it getting awkward. Hmm. And say, you know, and, and we've had that conversation and oftentimes there's reflective conversations post situation, right? Post whatever gathering where people say, I know I should have said something. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. But I, but I realized that if I keep expecting you to do it, then this isn't going to be collaborative, right? Hmm. So it's, it's those side conversations and in the public conversations together. And sometimes you're just silent and it may not go the way you want, right? There's like a teachable moment or there's something you want to say and you have to just wait a couple more beats <laughs> to let people have the time because it takes courage mm-hmm. to step forward when you're not in a position of power, titled power, you're not used to functioning in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, our churches, beloved as they are, are very top down. Very, yeah. few, very few churches are actually forming disciples. Mm-hmm. Very few are encouraging lay leaders to lead ministry. So we, we can't be surprised when it takes a while for folks to really step forward and to speak truth and to go deep and to take leadership. And I know a lot of folks in ministry are frustrated because they feel like they don't have strong lay leaders. Yeah. Right. They don't have strong lay leaders because the church is not cultivating. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a lot because that's extra work on top of everything else. Yeah. Um, unless you shift your whole model and that's part of Juniper formation, right? Like our model is to be a church for people in ministry and movement leaders, not just a place to come sit in a pew or on zoom or to watch on YouTube. First of all, that was a great transition. I love that transition. (laughs) Jenny's like, okay, we're done, Lauren, talking about your random questions. Let's get back to the interview. Lauren, do you have someone in your life who's being disrupted? (laughs) Sounds like this is on your heart. (laughs) My son and my daughter. (laughs) Right now. Right now. Uh, Well, thank you so much. I was just kind of like, this often happens where I'm just like, cast aside whatever I had planned and just like, just uh, keep drilling into questions here, but let's get yeah. back to Juniper formation. Uh, Cause I do want to talk more about that. So what is, talk some more about some of the work you've done, some of your, some of the recent projects, stuff like that. Sure. Um, and I want to start by saying that, um, so we started off as a ministry and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is we did not start off as a church and we have in the last year gone through discernment um and we are a new church start in the united church of christ oh okay so that does not shift our mission it doesn't shift our work what it shifts is our frame of how we understand ourselves yeah um and so we're faith community of the united church of christ Mm -hmm. for movement leaders and people in ministry who are prophetically reimagining the church specifically at the margins so if you go to our like about page and look at leadership, you'll see it's predominantly female and gender queer mm-hmm. and that's intentional. Yeah. Um, a lot of entrepreneurial ministry. And I think you would know this cause you're a church planner yourself. <laughs> a lot of what we see and is promoted 
um, in entrepreneurial ministry or church planting are white men. Never. Women. No, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> yeah. God bless him, but yeah. they have they have uh, quite the edge. Um, quite the edge. So part of our mission is to make sure that we are doing that formation work, that support, the investment, taking on shared risk with new ministries and ministers who are coming from the margins, uh, depending on their gender, their sexuality, their ethnicity, their abilities. Uh, and disability and differences, all of, all of the different diversities that marginalize folks in our society. So those are the folks we work with. Um, what we do, there's kind of two major ways of thinking of it. One is we incubate um, or help birth new ministries of all kinds and new churches. We also accompany congregations and other ministry leaders in um, prophetic discernment, so congregations that are at a decision point and have to really uh, take the time to do deep spiritual discernment and make some very big prophetic decisions. Congregations that want to start a new ministry and aren't sure how to go about it. Um, folks that know that they're called to something more than where they're at and need accompaniment in that process. And that's, I think, one of the differences one of the other reasons we were formed was a lot of the really good consulting options in the wider church mm -hmm. are still fairly in and out and they come from national spaces in and out to local communities and yeah. as i as i said relationship is key to our ministry um so accompaniment is our style in that it's it mm. can be short-term engagement but it's deeply relational and we're present uh, and walking alongside folks versus an expert driven type of model like a top-down um, so if I'm yeah. hearing you, I'm blanking on what the term is right now, but I was, I'm working on, uh, I'm working on an MBA with nonprofit emphasis and I just took a class in, um, missional, what is the word development? Uh, what's, I can't remember the word is where it's like community development type rather than you're going in. Asset based community development. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like, sounds like that's what you're the model you're working from. Yeah. Yeah, we are informed by asset-based community development. And okay. back to theologically, right? Like if we are all children of God and mm -hmm. the spirit has gifted us, <laughs> yeah, then we're not ever going into a blank slate. We're not ever going into a community that is deficit. We are always going into spirit-filled spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's central to how we are in relationship to folks and, and how we engage folks in ministry. Yeah, I, th I think that's what's so fascinating about that um, that asset-based community development is it rather than thinking of scarcity, it it's comes from a place of abundance where, mm -hmm. um, plus, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert in this by any stretch, but it seems far less colonial than uh, uh, yes. any other approaches, right? <laughs> yes, far less. Yeah, I mean, part of it is really looking at what does relationship mean, mm. right? And we don't do that. And a lot of the white colonial empire building tradition of the church mm -hmm. is looking at everyone else and saying, you're faulty, you're sinful, you're wrong. Yeah. You're not worthy, but we are. And that translates in how we interact in the world, how we do mission and outreach, just the word outreach itself, I struggle with. Okay. Because it's outside of self, right? We have to reach out to other people who are not us, who are yeah. less than. Yeah. Right? It's not usually reaching out to peers. Mm -hmm. It's reaching out to people that we think are less than us. 
in some capacity, and that is not Christ-like. Um, <laughs> so that a lot of our ministry and time and faith formation in relationship together is deconstructing. We all, you know, we're all raised in this culture. So we have to do that deconstructive work and reflective work of what is it that we're doing? How does this serve, you know, the gospel, humanity, our relationships, and where is it just really wrong? Hmm. These are, I really wish uh, we had more time for this because I'm really kind of appreciating this conversation. Um, Thank you. Plus, you know, my son, if he's, he can only last so long here. So yeah. uh, talk about, uh, before we move on, talk about like this music project you've been working on. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of passionate about uh, that. Sure. So I was doing a um, discernment process actually with the Christian Church Disciples of Church, Evergreen Christian Church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A year ago, two years ago. And so it was during Advent, so it was integrated worship discernment, and I wanted music that was inclusive, um, mm-hmm. that didn't replicate the warlike and colonial, hierarchical, um, patriarchal language of the yeah. church. <laughs> and I was, using, I was looking at both the UCC hymnal and um, the DOC hymnal and other resources and trying to listen to new music online. And mm-hmm. my frustration is that a lot of what I, exp- and I'm not a, Christian music expert. So someone mm-hmm. is listening and is like, what about this? Probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, earlier but, in this season, yeah. I'll say, I just, I'm blanking on her name right now, but I have someone who's going to air before you, uh, who serves in the UCC church as a musician, um, oh, blanking on her name right now. She serves at, uh, Vista. What's the church in Colorado Springs? Vista Grande, I think. Vista Grande. Yep. Blanking on her name. Forgive me, whoever you uh-huh. are. <laughs> Well, good. Yeah. So a lot of what is accessible for music, the language doesn't work. It's not Mm -hmm. progressive. Um, Sometimes the sound of the music is more contemporary and enjoyable, but the language doesn't work. And sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes it's both horrible music and the plodding march sound. Um, Mm -hmm. And I grew up with hymns and traditional music and some of it I love and some of it I can't stomach anymore because the words are harmful. Yeah. So I contacted Jenny LaJoy, who I had known through Iliff, who was a student there, and said, hey, I'm really struggling. I would love to have music that's different. Do you want to write an album? Wow. Uh, LaJoy is a singer-songwriter, and this was their first sacred music album. So this is one of the ways – so this is a great example of what I meant by co-creating and partnership. Um so, and LaJoy has expressed before, you know, they probably wouldn't have written this album without being asked, right? Hmm. We all sometimes need that tap on the shoulder yeah, to say, I see these gifts in you, like the church needs you, would you serve, hmm. right? Um, and we paid them, uh, we funded their work of creating the album and we released that together and we did it while we were working with rebirthing Evergreen Christian Church. On the Sundays I was preaching and leading worship, we worked together on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote new music for that Sunday based on the lectionary. So the album actually goes through the liturgical year. Um, oh, that's cool. About January through June, July. Um, and it was a way for three new ministries to birth together. It was wow. Juniper Formation's first um, ministry rebirth that we did. Mm-hmm. And it was Evergreen's rebirth and LaJoy's uh, Sacred Music ministry mm-hmm. birth. That's awesome. And 
some people might look at that and see all these people who are new with deficits, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have everything that one might want to start. Yeah. (laughs) But together we created abundance and supported one another in a large transformation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Reverend Dr. Jenny Witcher. And uh, have, the person I was thinking of was Amanda Yudis Kessler. I think that's how you say her name. So uh, she's earlier this season. So listeners, if you haven't checked hers out, go back and listen to that and uh, come back and listen to the rest of this one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jenny, uh, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, sure. I did an interview earlier today and they said that if they're Pope for a day, uh, they'd be worried about getting the clothes dirty. So <laughs> getting the white dirty. Uh, if you're a Pope for a day, what does that day look like? What do you want to do? You know, something like that. Sure. Uh, I'm going this serious route. I would not want to be Pope for a day because that does not match my value systems. Mm. But if forced, yeah, I would write in a apostolic constitution or papal bull dismantling uh-huh. that whole cisgender heteronormative patriarchal <laughs> colonial empire building system. And institute somehow a process that would lead the Catholic Church to a more Christ-like structure that's inclusive, uh, and especially in its leadership. Because, not because that's just my value system, but mm-hmm. because imagine the kind of global transformation that would happen if the Catholic Church made that transformation themselves. That's good. How much power and influence they have. We might need to get you more than one day, but... Right. It's ambitious. It'd be a lot. It'd be a very tiring yeah. day. <laughs> very full day. Uh, what theologian or Christian historical figure might you want to meet or bring back to life? I would love to meet all of those unnamed women or genderqueer disciples of the early church. Oh, that's good. I desperately want to hear their truths and their preaching, their stories. And I think um, it's quite a significant loss that we don't have those. Good. I like that answer. Um, what do you think history will remember from this current time and place? Uh, um, there's so many things. I think uh, right now, as we're nearing to the election, what's on my heart and mind right now is how embarrassing it is that um, we have quite a large number of evangelical conservative Christians who have kind of taken name of this country. Yeah. And what they're fighting for right now couldn't be more opposite of what Christ did, mm-hmm. what he taught, and what would want, he would want for us. Yeah. No, I, I'm just going to uh, point something out for our listeners. Jenny, one of the things I'm loving hearing from you is, I again, I think so often the caricature, the stereotype of folks on the left liberals quote unquote is our kind of apathetic faith and your passion it like it's just it's soothing well, that's not the word it's it, i can't think of what i'm trying it's can't think today but it's oozing out that's what i'm saying like i appreciate it yeah so love to see that um uh i the question i was going to ask you what do you think there's there's the disruptors, <laughs> some more disruptors in the background. Uh, the question I was going to ask you was, what do you think history will, or no, what do you think Christianity might look like in 500 years? I'm going to tweak that a little bit. Mm. What do you hope 
for Christianity in the future. I hope it's more Christ-like. I hope that, um, I hope that we get to a place where we could shed the trappings of this world of capitalism, of how to do things right, mm-hmm. um, and really figure out how to live out our faith. I think we struggle deeply with that. A lot of us, there's some, I mean, there's plenty of people that are working very hard at that, but as a collective, we're suffering greatly and it is so heartbreaking because it's so obvious. Like you said before, relationships are so obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes when we're in those spaces, the answer is so obvious and we can't get ourselves there. And I hope that we can get there. Yeah. Well, this has been a, a great conversation and I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you dealing with the disruptions here. No so problem. yeah, where can people find out more about you and your work? Absolutely. You can go to juniperformation.com. And when you go there, you can sign up for our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much again for your time and may God's peace be with you. Thank you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.